Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with me, your host, Stephen Wallace. On today's show, we have more, yes, more Ashes chat for you. This time, Roland Butcher, our regular pundit, gives his forthright opinions on the five-match Men's Ashes series. A stumping, a retirement, a possible retirement are all covered by the former England test player who even takes a question from a former Australian opening batsman. Roland concludes the podcast by adding his thoughts on the state of West Indian cricket and the forthcoming World Cup. Find out who he thinks will win the 50 overs aside event in India. Hello, Roland. Welcome back to the show. Stephen, thank you very much. And great pleasure and honour always to be on your show and looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. You were right, though. You got the score right. Two all. Uh, well, I'm very pleased that I've actually got it right because quite often you you make predictions that don't come true. But I always felt from the offset that both teams were quite evenly balanced and um, both of them I felt would be in test matches. Um, hence my prediction of 2-2 um, at that stage because I, I couldn't separate um, either side um, in terms of victory. And um, I think the rain certainly helped Australia in that fourth test match, which meant that you went to the oval still 2-1 down and the possibility of 2-2. I think on an earlier podcast um, in March, you actually said that one of the games would probably suffer um, from the rain. And and your friend, Sean Belushi, actually sent me a WhatsApp message to say that you got the score right too, or with one rain, rained off match. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be to go through the whole summer of five test matches in a short space of time and not get any weather interference, you know, it's asking a lot, particularly with the summer that we had last year. Um, I just felt this year we're perhaps not going to be that lucky and get sunshine all the time, so we lose some time. I didn't realise it would happen, certainly at that um, fourth and important test match because I think England would have gone into the last one with a lot of pressure on them to try and win it, and um, obviously they did. 
Well, we're going to move on to talk about the, the series. I think a series of two halves, really. But uh, did you think it was a, a fair result to all? I think in the end, I think both teams would have settled for the 2-2. Um, maybe England may be a little bit disappointed that if they'd done one or two things a little bit better, um, they could have easily won the series and won it comfortably. But I think Australia will take the 2-2. I mean, they would feel perhaps that... Um, haven't had such a great start, you know, that they could have gone on to clinch it. But at the end of the day, I think they would also realise that they were quite fortunate to um, to come away with the draw. So I think both things would be happy. Well, I've got some questions as we go along. Uh, one coming up from a former Australian test player. But the first one is from a friend of mine called Kenny Hutchinson, who now lives in Lanzarote. Not a cricket, cricketing hotbed, I don't think. But uh, he's very nice. very nice place, yeah. He's he's asked me, should the Ashes be shared after a drawn series? Well, that's a very good question, whether it should be shared. Um, At the end of the day, um, you know, the result, nobody wants. So, but, you know, they have it at the moment that if you are the current holders of the Ashes and there is a, a drawn series, then basically the team who are the current holders maintain um, the, the Ashes. I guess that's a question that can be discussed um, going forward. But I think the record books and the way it should be played out is that, in actual fact, that the series was drawn. And I think it should be spelt out more that you only retain the ashes simply because you had it, you won it before. Splitting this, the, the podcast into two halves, um, talking about the uh, Edgbaston test and the Lord's test, should England have won at Edgbaston and Lords? I think that first test match for me, right at the beginning, I thought England made a, I think, a, a fundamental error. So that was the first test match, actually. When they declared um, the draw route still at the crease on 100 plus, I, for me, that was a, a little bit of arrogance on the part of England. I thought um, they've only batted at that stage for what, 70 overs, if that. And to have declared with your roots to let the crease, the tail could have wagged, they could have got another 50, 60 runs, would have put them in poor position in the test match. I felt really that, you know, they, they put the game in Australia's lap um, at that point um, by doing that. And um, in terms of laws, uh, you know, again, that was a uh, another game where mistakes were made um, and, and they got punished for it. I mean, at Edgbaston, um, the Australians put on 55 for the ninth wicket uh, to, to win the game, Pat Cummins and Nathan Lyon. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, Australia, you know that Australia, the history of Australian cricket is that the tail always wags. Um, you don't have four number 11s in their side. Um, they may not be um, technical batsmen, but what they do offer at the back end of an innings is you know, they get stuck in and they fight and they, they play to the situation. So if the situation is that a tail ender has to hang around, that's exactly what they do. Um, so, that you know, it's nothing new that the Australian tail um, gets runs to help them get out of trouble. Um, so it certainly helped them on this occasion. Moving on to Lords, England were 188 for one in their first innings. And what did you think to their batting when they took on the, the short ball, particularly at the end of the, the second day, and we finished up getting bowled out on the third day for 
three two five. Yeah, I guess probably a bit of arrogance, overconfidence. Obviously, Australia had to change tactic because up to that point it wasn't working, and obviously went on the short ball side, knowing full well that England would be bold and take them on, uh, which they did. And you know, Australia got themselves back into the game and. Really, I think when England look back on that test match, you know, I think they would say to themselves really that as well as much as Australia won that test match, really England lost it. I've got to ask you about the um, the controversial incident. Well, you might not consider it controversial because I've got a question from from a, a guest on this podcast on a few occasions, Rick McCosker, and he said, "Do you think uh, that the dismissal of Bairstow by Carey?" was a defining moment in the series and a catalyst for the England team and Bairstow in particular? Um, I think what that incident did was really then created between the two sides a lot more um, competition. Um, I think England certainly became much more competitive at that point. Um, perhaps before that, they were thinking, you know, you know we'll wrap this series up quite easily the way that we have a new approach to the game. Um, obviously found themselves one down, but what that um, incident did was really pull the two sides apart, where England had then had to, you know, distance themselves from Australia and try to play hard. In terms of the what actually happened, I mean, I personally believe that you know, it was out. That That is my, my personal belief because... Um, at no stage did the wicketkeeper catch the ball and wait and then throw the ball. It was all in one wash, really. He caught the ball and threw it. And, you know, all credit to them. That That, that is good planning. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I, I've seen um, in football, I, I saw some very good planning once by a team who um, they were playing the opposition. And what they had noticed was that when the goalkeeper gets the ball at the end, at the edge of the box, when he catches the ball at the edge of the box, what he tends to do then is to roll the ball three or four yards and then kick it up the field. So what happened was, you know, the striker chased the ball in to the keeper. Keeper picked it up. The striker turned his back as if to run back to the middle, knowing full well he was going to roll it out, then turned around quickly and, and he had to roll it out and just took the ball off him and put it in the net. So... You know, that was just, that was good strategy and good planning. Obviously, Australia had done the same thing. Um, they realised that they still wanders around out of his crease. And uh, the thing was that if the ball came through, they'd throw it back. Sometimes they would miss or otherwise on this occasion, they hit the stumps and he was out of his crease. So I had no difficulty with the dismissal. I, I think it was out. And, um, you know, but it was a defining moment because it clearly made England much more aggressive and positive in terms of what they needed to do. There, were, there was nothing friendly anymore. And that, that certainly helped England's cause. It certainly fired up Ben Stokes at, at Lords uh, with his 155, nine fours and nine sixes. Yeah, magnificent innings. Um, how often have you seen Ben Stokes play that type of innings when the team needs it? And, um, you know, he played a, a terrific innings there. But, yeah, I, I think... After that incident, really, the, the series was the series came alive after that, as far as I was concerned. Up to then, um, you know, Australia had won that first Test match 
um, this one here, obviously, they wanted to make two nil up. So, but I think England's resolve after that was was set because of that incident. I think um, it was like if to say, well, look, okay, this is how you want to play. Well, you know, we're going to play hard as well. Well, Rick, Rick didn't stop there. He's got a follow up question. He he wanted to know your thoughts on Brendan McCullum's in his terms, hypocritical comments about the incident because McCullum had actually run someone out or stumped someone. He stumped Paul Collingwood back in 2009, I think. Well, listen, you know, we've all done, you know, certain things in the early part of our career. Um, But when we were players, when we become coaches, you know, it's a different matter. Um, You know, you've had um, Stuart Broad having similar discussions. And, and then you saw an incident where Stuart Board cut the ball straight to slip and, and was caught. And, um, you know, so he, he complained later on about something else. So, I mean, these things happen, um, especially in the early part of your career. Um, you know, do you just carry that with you all the way through your career or do you, you know, make a stance? Uh, yeah, listen, McCullum did probably the same thing years ago. And um, on this occasion, you know, he, he had his say. But for me, you know, that was all in the game. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. I do see something wrong with if you, you wait, 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 and then when the batsman walks out of the crease, you do that. Now, now that's more deliberate. But if it all happens very quickly, um, you know, what is the difference between um, the bowler bowling the ball, a batsman, tries to play off his legs, it comes off the pad, which ricochets a short leg, who flicks it back at the stumps while the batsman is just out of his crease. It's instantaneous. He, he didn't wait for the batsman to come out, so nothing wrong with that. But going to heading the 2-0 down, England recalled Mark Wood and, uh, and Chris Wokes, but also Nathan Lyon was now out of the series. Those three three changes made Big impacts on the rest of the series. Oh, Mark Wood was the defining factor. There's no question about that. Um, that extra pace, you know, and, and pace wins test matches. There's no question about that. And extra pace, particularly, and he he did just that. I mean, he made the difference. And really, up to that point, that's what was missing in England setup. That type of pace that that Mark Wood had in those early test matches. The fact he came back then. Um, suddenly meant that England had a real weapon in the armory and he did the business. And from there on, really, I think the, the whole series shifted from there on, really. From there on, Australia was hanging in all the way from from that test match right to the end. And so he made a difference. I think also Chris Chris Walks as well, his um, you know, he coming back into the side as well. Literally up the ante, so to speak. And Australia was Australia had to hang in there. Um and that's your fact, you know, quite lucky to get away with the 2-2 draw. You had mentioned the um, importance of pace in the previous podcast, whether it be Wood or Archer. Wood was recorded at 95 mile an hour and, and took five for 34 in the first innings at Headingley. But Ben Stokes's 80 runs in that first innings when England were 1-4-2 for seven um, against the Australian score of 2-6-3 was also very important. Yeah, that was crucial, and um, you know, I, I felt Australia made mistakes in that in that innings. Um, I 
was constantly in contact with my cousin in England and we were chatting away. And um, when Ben Stokes was batting at the end, I think he was either batting in number 10 or number 11. And, you know, it was, there were still 90 odd runs in deficit. And um, they were chipping away. And the, you know, the captain brought on Todd Murphy with, with Ben Stokes at the crease. And I, I told my cousin, Australia have just handed this test match back to England because that is a huge mistake. I mean, Stokes is only going to play one way against Murphy. You know, he's, he's going to launch it. And his two, two overs or I think probably about three maximum cost him about 36 plus runs. And the deficit was down to 20 odd. And at that point, um, England were, you know, back in the game. And I felt that's where Australia gave it away. I mean, if you were batting, if you were bowling at nine or ten, you know your fast bowlers really should be very aggressive at the last two batsmen, um, not um, tossing the ball, hoping that Ben Stokes would miss hit. He did eventually, but it cost him, you know, 30, 40 runs and put England almost on, on par with, with Australia. Did Australia though miss uh, an off spinner who's nearly got five hundred Test wickets in Nathan Lyon? I think they did, but I don't think the pitches were such that were, you know, it, it wasn't leaping and spinning all, um, you know, all series. You know, Nathan Lyons would have done a good job, but perhaps, you know, controlling it, keeping it fairly tight. But um, would he have been as impactful as he normally is? I don't think the pitches um, would have given him that sort of assistance. Obviously, it's a loss because, you know, the name Nathan Lyons um, carry some weight, um, you know, in the England camp. I mean, they will be weary of him. But at the same time, I, I really don't feel that the pitches offered him, um, you know, any great deal of terms. So would he have been a, a huge factor? I doubt it. I think the, I think the momentum had shifted um, by the time they got to, to Headley. England were very much in the ascendancy. And really, I don't think what, never what Australia did after that I don't think that we're going to really get back in the, in the series from that point. Well, England won at Headingley by three wickets. We then went to Old Trafford where England scored 592 off only 107 overs. Really, was Basball was on fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean incredible. I mean, and he's scoring over five, five and over in the Test match. Um, you know, you've got 500 plus in, and just over 100 overs. You know, that is, that is unbelievable. I mean, Australia's response was, was as you would expect from Australia. Um, but at the same time, then, you know, it, it changed after that as well. And really, you know, England at the end of the day could easily won a test match as well. Zach Crawley scored 189 off 182 balls. Yeah, I mean, that's ball at its best. Um, I think a key factor really in England's setup was, you know, Johnny Bairstow's form. Um, how quickly he scored his runs. Uh, you know at the top that um, Crawley's going to, if he gets away, he's going to score quickly, which he did. Um, you know, Duckett gave good support. But I think Bairstow's runs, uh, when they came, and they came quite quickly, really pushed England in, into that sort of situation where, um, you know, they could declare and, and, and they could only bat for a short space of time. So it, it was important, really, I guess I was on a lot of pressure because, you know, he had his critics because of the drop catches, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, 
I think in the end of the day, his batting really put England in a, in a good place. Yeah, Bairstow 99 not out. And, and then we moved to the Oval. You weren't surprised then that England won the last test? Not at all. Um, as I said, I, I felt the momentum really had shifted after the Lords incident. I think after that test, really, I think England then really showed that you know, there's going to be a bit of resolve here. We're going to play this hard. And I, and I felt really, I don't think Australia had another gear at that point. I don't think they, you know, they were 2-0 up, but they just didn't have enough to be convincing in the third test match. And what, they got a real lucky there with the draw. Um, and, you know, as I said, once you enter the overall, England had to win. I mean, that's the only way they could stay um, in the series, not retain the ashes, but at least come up with some sort of creditable draw. Um, so Australia just didn't have another gear, even in that last test match. I don't think they didn't have another gear, really. An Australian Australian captain didn't seem to trust Todd Murphy, so more reliance on the fast bowlers. Yeah, I mean, the oval, I mean, the spinners don't have a great time at the oval because generally oval pitches are, are if they're going to assist anybody, they assist the faster bowlers. They're usually good for batting, um, you know, and, you know, Murphy was never going to be, as far as they're concerned, um, was going to be a, a figure that was going to bowl 40 or 50 overs um, in the side. And, and I guess a lot of that would, was down to the fact that they were pretty sure the way England was going to play. Um, they're going to be very aggressive, very positive, um, try and score quickly. Um, so, you know, the strategy of bowling the faster bowlers, putting the field back, you know, it takes time out of the game. So, you know, Australia didn't have to force the issue. They didn't have to win that test match. Um, you know, they just had to try and hang in there and, and see if they can save it. And they would have won the series. So uh, they didn't come up on the front foot and they, were, they didn't have to come up on the front foot because England had to do all the pressing. Another player crucial to the win at the Oval and who played a significant role in the series, Moeen Ali. I know you're a big fan of his. He moved up to number three. In He got nine wickets in the series, 180 runs at 25. And in that uh, last innings, even with an injured groin, he got three wickets. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously a key factor because uh, without having a number one spinner and bringing Moeen Ali back, um, it always was a bit of a gamble whether his fitness would hold up um, for those test matches. You know, all credit to him. Um, you know, he did. And as you said, he did have an impact um, by actually going up the order and batting and batting very well. Um, you know, and then with the ball, you know, he picked a crucial wickets. So, you know, he played his part. And I think overall, you know, it was a series that I really enjoyed watching. I watched it from afar, but um, it, was, it was pretty intriguing, you know, just watching, you know, how things were playing out. And... Yeah, Moin Ali did a, a good job. I see now he's decided that it's time to go back into retirement. So, you know, if England don't have a spinner next summer, maybe they'll have to call him again. Well, Chris Wokes was um, England's player of the series. Mitchell Stark um, for Australia. Who would be your player of the series? Oh, boy, that's, that's a very good one. Um, I think there were some... I don't think there was any player in particular who really dominated the series. I think at times on both sides, 
you had some very good performances. I mean, who can forget Puaja's couple of innings? You know, he he played exceptionally well at the top of the order. Um, you know, Steve Smith, you know, got a hundred of it. Zach Crowley, um, when Mark Wood came in, what what he did. I mean, if Wood had played earlier, um, you know, we'd have had a much more much more impact in, in the series. Um, but I think Walks, you know, the timing of Walks' contribution, I think, was critical. Um, you know, if you give it to Walks at the end of the day, I, I have no difficulty in that. You know, he did contribute significantly to um, to the results. But, you know, it could have been a number of players who were player, player of the series. One player who did make a significant uh, contribution to the series was Stuart Broad, who announced his test or his retirement from cricket at the end of the Oval Test, having taken 604 test wickets in 167 test wickets. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he had a good final series. Um, Stuart Broad, he put in lots of effort. Um, it is not often in a series that you say Broad outballs Anderson. You know, generally, you know, they're, they're usually neck and neck. But I think you would say this final series that he certainly outballed Anderson. Um, in the series, he, you know, he he got some results as well, so he can walk away from the game um, still feeling that he still had something to offer that he didn't walk away um, struggling in the game. So you know, he, he he did a good job, and you know, all credit to him. He's a long and loyal servant to the to the team. Uh, he will be missed by the team because you know those that number of wickets don't just walk around um, for anybody to have and. Um, you know, his contribution to England's cricket really has been quite immense. And it, it was fitting, I think, for him to actually leave the game um, having won that test match, contributed himself and, and not losing the series. Yeah, 16-year test career, 153 wickets against Australia, a record. So you're saying it was the right time for him to bow out? Well, listen, I only he will know how his body feels, whether... Um, you know, his body could take the pounding. I think people have to understand that, you know, international cricket is not easy. And it's even more difficult once you're a fast bowler. You know, if you play 16 years as a fast bowler at international level, you know, you're not playing Saturday afternoon at a local park. You know, you're playing for the whole world to see. You're playing against top-line players. You're playing on good pitches. Um, you know, it calls for a tremendous amount of physical fitness, you know, your your your, your ability, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So and the pressure that comes with it um as an international sportsman. So only he would know whether he was capable of one wanting to maintain the level of fitness that is required, whether he wants to keep doing that, whether he wants to keep running in, whether he wants to keep traveling, um, you know, and what sort of shape his body was in. So you know, obviously he would have thought about all of those things and come to the conclusion that really, um, you know, I've given all that I can. I, I probably cannot go much further and this would be a good time to, to step away from the game. Well, he took 22 wickets in the series uh, and played all, all five test matches. Yeah, I mean, that's a success. I mean, you know, he so he's left the game really on a high. Um, had he taken two wickets in the series and and got dropped after the third test, then really, you know, he, he would have walked away not feeling very good. But to get 22 
you know, even in the height of your career, if you get 22 in a series, you'll be happy with that in the height of your career, not more so in the last game of your career. So, you know, he, he, he did all that he wanted to. Um, and perhaps he left it all at the Oval and didn't feel that there was any more to come after that. Well, it was a perfect ending with him getting the the last wicket um, of Alex Carey. Yeah, I mean, I mean, those scripts are written. I mean, you you that's that's not something that you really dream about. It just, it just happened. I think he hit the last six as well, didn't he? And the last ball he hit the six, I think, in his career or something like that. So. You know, he he really did finish on a high. You know, he got 22 wickets. He got a wicket on his last ball in Test cricket. I think he got a he hit a six of the last ball in that he faced in Test cricket, and England won a Test match and series was drawn. So, you know, he he's ridden off into the sunset, um, smiling. I would imagine. You mentioned uh, Jimmy Anderson, who took five wickets in the series in the four Tests he played at 85. Where does that leave him? Do you think he should retire? Well, Jimmy Anderson has said really he has no intentions of retiring, so which means that he still has a hunger for the game. It still means that he trusts his ability to, to perform at that level. And, um, you know, he still feels obviously that his body can stand up to the rigors of fastballing at international cricket. So only he will know that. Um, really, you know, it's up to him to decide um, when and where they're playing. I would imagine that if he still wanted to play in series in England, um, you know, he must come into consideration for because you know every year the pitches are not going to be just flat or the ball is not going to move around. So if the ball is moving around, obviously he's a great exponent of that. So in English conditions, um, you know, he's somebody that they can always go back to. You know, the question would be whether when they go away on certain surfaces, whether they will choose them. Um, India or Pakistan, where it's quite low and flat. Um, Will he get selected there? Maybe not. But I expect to see Anderson sit around next summer uh, in in English cricket. Well, if if so, he he should be playing then against the West Indies, who have recently failed to qualify for this year's World Cup. How big a damage to West Indian cricket is the fact they won't be at the 50-over World Cup? Um, obviously, there's lots of disappointments in, in every quarter in terms of because everybody wants to be part of the World Cup. Um, so really, you know, everybody's very disappointed that West Indies didn't qualify. But at the same time, it, it is also a timely reminder of you know where, where a game is and what it needs to do um, in order to get back to the level that it needs to get back to. So... Obviously, there's lots of work going on right now to, you know, try and get to, the, to that position. You know, everybody's very disappointed. Players, administrations, everybody's disappointed in, in not making it to the World Cup. But, you know, we're not the first team not to have made it to the World Cup. But, you know, it's not something you want to see happen on a regular basis. And, you know, we'd be working hard to put it right. But it was a tough qualifying competition with the likes of Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka. Yeah, I mean, it was all, listen, everybody knew it was always going to be tough because, you know, the, the teams that were involved, you know, everybody, you know, the, 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 in terms of current um, performances, all the teams are pretty close together in terms of current performances. So when that happens, you can't say that there were any teams that were miles better than the other teams. 
uh, you knew that you know the teams were were pretty close and there would be some even um, contests taking place. Uh, the pitches were very good. Uh, you saw the scores that were that were being put on the board. Um, perhaps West Indies we didn't play our best cricket, but you know at the same time, um, you know we always knew that it was going to be a, a tough competition there. You know you would have thought that we had enough in the tank to you know to qualify, but uh, it didn't work out that way. And um, you know now we we've got some work to do. West Indies also just played a. Uh, test ODI and T20 series against India, beating them in the uh, T20s, 3-2, losing 2-1 in the ODIs and losing the Test series 1-0. How do you sum up the uh, the multi-format series against the mighty India? I think it was a good exercise and a good experience, you know, against in- India. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what side India um, put out, you know, they're going to be strong. Um you know, simply because of everything that they have um, in their favour. So, you you know, you always expect uh, quite a competitive Indian team. So the fact that our team were able to perform in the manner that they did, um, as you said, lost the Test Series 1-0, um, the ODI 2-1, um, you know, that was, you know, did pretty well at that. And then to actually win the, the T20 Series, I think that was... Um, you know, was very good for the for the for the region, very good for the players for that to happen. Um, you know, and you're beating, you know, you, you beat the number one side in, in their, you know, their number one rated T Twenty side. So, you know, you know, they rested a couple of players, but you know, you're still playing against India, um, and you know, so we we're very happy uh, for that. And as you know, the last, so that's the second T Twenty um, series that they won in a row because previously to that, the last T Twenty series was in South Africa. Uh, we won that series as well. So, you know, the T20 side is taking shape. Uh, we now need to really work hard on the other forms of the game to ensure that West Indies are a uh, very competitive, well-rounded side in all forms, both test ma- the Test Match, ODI and T20 cricket. And you're still confident that can be achieved? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have no question whatsoever about that. I just think that, you know, you know, we've got some very exciting young players um, on the horizon. Um, you know, players you probably heard of at the moment, but you will hear very soon. Um, I am very, very hopeful that, you know, West Indies um, in the next few years will be extremely competitive. And, you know, little wins like this against India South Africa will also convince the players that, um, yes, that we, you know, we, we can do it. And I have no doubt that, you know, that in the next couple of years that West Indies will be will be competitive. And you've got the T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and America in 2024. Yeah, next year. That's a big year in the region. Uh, hosting the, the T20 World Cup. And, um, you know, that's something, obviously, that we're building towards now because, you know, at home we've got to, got to play well and compete there. And, um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's coming perhaps at a good time for us as well. Um, where the team is getting some form. So we're really looking forward to that next year. Turning to the 50-over World Cup, which starts on the 5th of October with England playing New Zealand, what do you think England's chances of retaining the trophy they won in 2019? Well, I, listen, winning back-to-back trophies internationally these days is very difficult. But, uh, 
Um, it's, it's not easy. There's, you know, the teams are, you know, there's not a lot of difference between the teams at the top level. So, you know, any of those top teams can win. Um, you know, I think Australia will be very competitive again. Um, you know, you can write off India in India for sure. And, um, you know, Pakistan will be will be very strong as well. So I really, I, I'm looking for, again, something that we know that, you know, the winner is going to come out of that group. Um, India, England, Australia, uh, Pakistan. And, you know, I think Sri Lanka is a team we've got to keep an eye on, actually. Um, they're quietly um, getting their team back together. You know, if you look through their side, you see a lot of quality players in the team. So, um, you know, there could be a team that you've got to watch very carefully. And what was your reaction to Ben Stokes unretiring in 50-over cricket? Well, obviously, um, Ben has been persuaded that, one, they need him, and two, uh, you know, his body is still capable of the demands of, you know, 50-over cricket. Uh, I'm sure if he had any doubts that physically, you know, he would be struggling, that, you know, he would stay um, retired. But he's obviously believing that, you know, he, he can get through um, the 50-over game. Obviously, for England's side, I mean, that is uh, that's a great fillet because, you know, he, he's a top-class player. So that can only be an asset for the for the England team. We just have to wait and see, you know, how pulls up, you know, physically um, during that during the World Cup. But still, no Joffrey Archer yet to play for England. Yeah, my understanding is that you know he may he may be there as a as a reserve, um, so that if you know if the, if there are mass injuries or whatever, so which tells me that he's you know, very close to, to full fitness. So, you know, again, that would be a, a good thing for England um, to have him back fit again because, you know, going forward, I guess for him and, and, and Mark Wood, um, in any team, it, it gives the team, you know, that cutting edge and particularly when it comes to test cricket, you know, you know, fast bowlers are premium really in, in, in test cricket. So, I'm sure England will want to get him back as quickly as possible and, and hope that, one, you know, he is as good as he was before and, and his fitness is, um, you know, he, he certainly doesn't get the recurrence of the, the injury that he's had and he's able to play for a sustained period. Now, you've got the, the, the prediction right for the Ashes, two, two all with a rained off. Uh, you've sort of talked about who you think is going to be in the semi semi-finals final. Who's going to win the 2023 50 over World Cup? Well, I, well, that's that, 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 that's a very good one. I mean, I, I, I would say basically at this point in time, um, I think India has got something to prove. Um, I think you've got people talking about their, uh, obviously, you know, losing the lost the, the, the Test Championship. Obviously, they lost this T20 series against West Indies. People are, you know, writing them off. But, you know, I don't think you can write India off in India. Um, you know, that's their conditions. They know that very well. So, I mean, they're going to be extremely hard to beat. Um, the question is going to be the other teams, how quickly they can adapt um, um, 
the conditions in in India. Um, Australia, you know, they've had a pretty tough out in here in England. You know, can they lift themselves again? Um, you know, they'll be competitive. But I would hazard a guess the team that perhaps have had um, a bit of an easy going recently is Pakistan. So they're going to be my dark horse, Pakistan. I think England are going to be there, thereabouts. England, India will be there, thereabouts. Australia will be there, thereabouts. Uh, I am going to put my money on Pakistan on this one. And your money too, Stephen. And changing sports because you got this right before. Um, who's going to win the Premier Actually, you didn't. You said Arsenal would win and they didn't in the end. But who's going to win the Premier League? I know this is a cricket and horse racing podcast, but who's going to win the Premier League? I think this year is going to be even closer than last year. Um, again, you can't write off Man City. as a, I think Arsenal will be there. Um, and, and I think Newcastle is going, to, is going to be part of that trio as well. I believe it's going to come from those three, one of those three really. City, uh, Arsenal or Newcastle. We'll come back to that in future podcasts. And your former side, Stevenage, have made a good start. They have. Yeah, I mean, I think they're third at the moment. So very happy with that. Um, you know, they're they're now in the big leagues. So you know, to to have started so brightly is great. Let's hope that they can, you know, they can keep it up. I'm not sure how big the squad is and whether it's you know strong enough to to last the full com- full campaign. But um, at the moment, they've made a perfect start. But to end the podcast, did Basball stand up to the test? Well, I think Basball, um, in the end, certainly got England the, the draw. Um, I think the Australian coped pretty well with it the first two test matches. Um, they obviously had a plan when they came for the, the New England would score quickly. What they did was set. Feel very deep, always had a deep extra cover, so that instead of getting four early on, they got a single. Um, they, it, that unsettled England for a while. Um, but all credit to England, they, 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 they believed in their, um, in their process, they didn't change after those first two test matches, and they continued trusting the process that had brought them success last year and got themselves back in the game. So, was baseball a success? England would say it was. Um, Australia would say that for two test matches, they were able to control it. The most exciting Ashes series, though, since 2005? Yeah, most definitely, because, you know, it could have gone anywhere. Um, I think what was surprising was that Australia took a 2 0 lead. I don't think anybody, not even Australia, would have thought that the first two test matches assumed that they would win. Um, I don't think England would have thought so either. So, you know, that brought a lot of intrigue and interest into the into the series. And, you know, good fight back by England, really, because they were behind all the way. I mean, when you're two down, not easy to come back from two down. But, you know, they did. Um, Australia hung in there. And at the end of the day, as you said, a series was produced that had a lot of interest, not just in England, but all over the world. I think everybody was um, more interested in cricket. Watched that series. Um, I watched every I watched every game here in the Caribbean. 
uh, yeah, it was a riveting series and um, could have gone either way at the end. And, you know, I think, you know, cricket gained um, from that spectacle and uh, the results, perhaps the English supporters not too happy with the result, but I think at the end of the day, really, it was, as you said, rich entertainment that um, rivaled or surpassed the 2005 series. I also heard from one of our previous guests, Bill Hearn, co-author of Football's Black Pioneers, that you're returning again to the UK soon. Yes, yes, I'll be there um, beginning of next month. Um, as you know, I my children are there. I am also my first assignment is um, reopening the sports facilities at Westminster School, um, a place where I was a football and cricket coach for nine years. So yeah, I'm really coming for you know to get that get that done, um, and obviously see the kids and family. So have you got some work with the BBC for the county championship? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah, the BBC, I'll be doing a number of games for the BBC while I'm there. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, thank you again for being on the paddock and the pavilion. Hopefully we can catch up again. It'll probably be late November, early December, when we can look back at the the World Cup in India. Yeah, well, let's hope the World Cup is uh, as exciting as we all want it to be. I'm sure it will be, um, you know, because you know, some of these teams have not been um, busy of late. And obviously, you know, this World Cup is something that a lot of them will be preparing for. So I'm looking forward to some, you know, some really good cricket. And, you know, hopefully a few more stars uh, are born at the end of the series. Well, I'll be looking out for your prediction now for Pakistan to win the 2023 uh, 50-over World Cup. Yes, and um, I, you know, I, I just... Has I just got that feeling really that you know Pakistan are ready to you know to to step up. Um, you know, they've been playing some pretty consistent cricket of late. Um, you know, and with the cracks showing in some of the teams, this really is a good opportunity for them. Yeah, I don't think any opening batsman fancies facing Shaheen if he's fit. <laughs> well, I mean, this is um, you know. There, there are good or wrong side who, if they perhaps a little bit have a little bit more self belief um, in themselves, you know, could really um, challenge the, the so-called big teams. Um, but you know, uh, you know, India have got to. They're under pressure. I mean, their public's going to demand um, a lot from them. Um, you know, they're they're play- at the moment. You know, there's a lot of discussion around India's cricket um, by by not just people on the outside, but and I'm reading a lot of articles by ex-Indian players, and you know, they they are concerned about where India cricket is going at the moment. So that in itself can put a lot of pressure on the players. So if India can, if India win this, all credit to them because they wouldn't have just won it on skill alone. You know, they would have had to overcome tremendous home pressure um, to get there. So I'm going to watch and see how they perform. Well, thanks again, uh, Roland, for joining me. Stephen, always a pleasure. And, um, you know, as you said, at the end of the World Cup, we'll chat again and, um, you know, we'll see where where our predictions came. 
Social Podcast Network.